And today I'm interviewing the ACT Sustainability Commissioner, Dr. Kate Orty. Good morning, Kate. Hello. Now, Kate, let's start off with a really basic question here. And what is sustainability? Ah, the $64 million question. Sustainability is about actions and it needs to be understood in terms of what we can do. I think it's intensely around reducing, reusing and recycling and it's about not cutting into the environment that will be inherited by those that follow us. What are the main dimensions of it? Of the environment? It ranges from how we produce waste, how we think about transport, what's happening with biodiversity, why we think climate change is important and how all of those things play out, and there's many more than that, in what I describe as a world of co-benefits. So an office like mine is often understood as interested intensely in biodiversity. There's no question about that we are. But when we think about the environment and we try to engage people in being interested in it, we need to talk about co-benefits. So everything we do to reduce our carbon footprint by way of transport, for instance in active travel, is good for our health. That's the co-benefit. And if we think about ourselves in the environment, then we're going to be much better stewards of it for all the next generations. Is that taking a much more holistic view of it, looking at the so-called triple bottom line, for example? It is. I think the triple bottom line has been well and truly at the forefront of the minds of people about sustainability for some time. And I can say that we could spend a lot of time talking about sustainability because people always ask what it means. It's about reducing our ecological footprint. Well, let's let's define another term here, the triple bottom line, so-called, and that's maybe one for insiders. What is it? Well, there's now a quadruple bottom line too, of course, which is the environment, the economy, society and, of course, culture because we shouldn't think that being concerning ourselves with the social is absent a consideration of culture. And when we're thinking about the triple bottom line, we're concerning ourselves with the holistic way of understanding ourselves. Now, the environment issues has an impact on the economy doesn't it? That's one of the three of the lines. What's that connection? It does. It does. If we don't have fresh air, if we don't have clean water, if we don't have soils which are capable of producing the food we know we need, if the environment isn't producing those things, it also impacts our economy. And these two things are linked inextricably. We can't continue to consume in the way that we do without impacting the environment and depleting it as a resource in all of those ways. We've looked at the ecological footprint of the ACT. It was done under the, under the watch of a previous commissioner and we have an ecological footprint that is larger than any other capital city and it's larger than many other places in the world. And the reason for that is that we are a, an intensely consuming society. We are a spread out city. We are a city that's... in that's intensely dependent on private transport for travel and these sorts of things mean that we're using more of the resources than we individually are effectively entitled to if we regard the environment 
as an equitable resource to be distributed fairly. Uh, so there's the concept of the environment footprint can you tell me what that is? It's a very complex analysis and it's done by people who can tell you what in fact the value of a beer is from the point of view of its environmental footprint. They can tell you what the value of a cake is from its environmental footprint. But the big ones are energy and transport. They're big, they're big in this part of the world and they will continue to be, at least until we see the ACT on 100% renewables by 2020, at which time transport becomes our really big challenge. Energy, so a big ticket item and obviously a lot of attention here in the ACT. What's going on in the ACT at the moment? Well, the ACT is a leader in respect of energy across the country and I'd have to say that Victoria, where I recently hailed from, is following what you're doing here. You have committed to reducing your energy footprint by the renewable energy target, which is the 2020 target of 100%. That's a massive undertaking. It was done at a time when other states and territories weren't doing this, so a decision was taken to commit to it, and that's now being delivered through wind and also solar. You've also got work being done here about battery technology, which is a fascinating development for the storage of renewable energy, and that's, in a way, a leader across the states as well. And I think it's fair to say that I hear that people are very disappointed that the federal government isn't welcoming some of these initiatives and finding ways to embrace them and promote them. Well, today has been quite cool here in Canberra. In fact, about 17 degrees when I left. That's an example of climate variability, is it not? It is. And that connects with a story that you... Well, something that happened to you while you were the Environment Commissioner in Victoria. Can you tell me what that was? Yes, I can. I was the Commissioner for Environmental Sustainability in Victoria from 2009 to 2014. My office was, like the office here in the ACT, statutorily required to produce a State of the Environment report. We also committed in Victoria to delivering to the Parliament and to the Minister a Climate Change Foundation paper. I was invited to discuss that foundation paper with the then Coalition Victorian Government Minister and the Minister asked me what he could do about the Climate Change Foundation paper if he didn't like it. I was somewhat perplexed by that question and I responded by saying there was nothing the Minister could do if he didn't like it. And I went on to say that the reason for that was that the climate change science on which we'd be predicating that report would be rigorous, it would be robust and it would be peer-reviewed. And I struggled to understand why or what there was not to like about a report that was subject to all of that scrutiny. So based on the science, do you have a sense of what triggered that reaction? I was subsequently told that the Victorian Public Service had been directed to use the expression climate variability rather than climate change. And in reports that came out from other offices in Victoria at the time, you will find climate variability used instead of climate change. When 
reporters were using the same material that we were using, the same maps that we were using, the bomb work, that's the Bureau of Meteorology work, and the work that was coming out of CSIRO at the time. That having been done, I struggled with the ideological nature of that direction and my office of course in Victoria was independent as it is here and we were not subject to a direction of that kind. In any event, even in 2012 when we put that report together, it was apparent to me from all of the discussions I'd had with climate scientists like David Caroli and David Griggs and others that we were looking at an urgent problem and an escalating issue and it would have been irresponsible for my office to have taken the view that climate change did not describe what we were looking at. So after you gave your initial response to the, the government person you were talking to, uh, what, what did you do then? We produced the report, we published the report, we circulated the report. It's now got a life which obviously I always wanted for it, widely across the Victorian community. And in that report we brought together a number of case studies from people who we'd spoken to all over Victoria as well. So the report was published... It was received well by the community and by scientists and those who knew what the science was telling us and I'm very pleased that we were responsible enough to do that. What was the personal impact on you? It was tough for my team. It was tough for me because we knew that we were struggling against what we saw as an ideological tide both in Victoria and federally and we knew that we were a small office standing out against that. But having said that, we also were aware that we were supported by the science and that was something that nobody could in fact take away from what we were doing. Well, the science is very clear. Do you, do you have a feeling why it has become a political issue, why the Earth's climate system might respond to political debate? My views on this are personal, but I do think that it's ideological. And, of course, we're all familiar with um, the work that tells us that what's happening in respect of climate and coal is not very different from what took place in the smoking mm. and cancer debates. There are big interests in this and those big interests are powerful and in exercising that power clearly they don't want to see their interests undermined. What do we do about it? My theory of change is start where you are, organise and show what you did. And that last element of my theory of change, show what you did, speaks to the need for us to be better at communicating. The middle part of my theory of change, organise, is about bringing into the conversation critical friends, oppositionists, people with whom we might not necessarily have a mutuality of interest, and being courageous enough to do it. The first part of my theory of change, which is start where you are, is, is saying to everybody that your smallest effort is important. Those efforts in your communities will be welcomed, most certainly, most usually. 
And you know most about the places that you live in and the places that you care about, so act there. And there are great examples of that. Hepburn Wind is a wonderful example of how they brought together those three elements. They started years ago. They Mm. sat on the street. They took signatures. They discussed those wind turbines with members of the community. They sought people's commitment by way of... So they they brought the community along with them. They did. And they came up with a plan. They did. And that plan has now delivered two wind turbines that delivers energy to the Dalesford and Gale and Gusto. Gale and Gusto. We we saw them last weekend. We did. We did. We did. And then you're saying the last part is to celebrate the successes. It is indeed. Celebrate the successes and do it overtly. Demonstration sites are powerful indications of change. We see it everywhere. Hepburn Wind is one example. If you're travelling anywhere around regional Australia, you'll see councils involving themselves in water-sensitive urban design. That's a clever way of thinking about how we're going to look after our water resources, which is intensely part of what is a consideration here in Australia. And so show what you can do to members in your community, to the government and to business. But I want to go back to the political side and the ideology because that's the middle step and I suspect it's the really the most difficult step. And how do you deal with people who are ideologically opposed, people who seem intransigent or at the extreme? It, that, that middle bit can't be seen in absence of the other two ends of it because when you're having those conversations with the extremes if you're talking about things you know well that's starting where you are you'll be more persuasive because of that because you're immersed in your own community and you understand these issues are important the other thing is persuading those who are on one end of the spectrum who are the extremes about what it is you're doing is always easier when you've got a good demonstration site the other thing about persuading them is to speak to that issue of co-benefits because you might not be able to engage a person in a conversation about the triple bottom line to do with sustainability but you can talk to people about health and if you're talking about health and obesity and heart issues and hospital costs and the health budget if we're reducing all of those by active travel we're also having an impact on our carbon emissions so they're linked so this is a negotiation technique in effect it is and it comes from my background as a barrister you're probably hearing that i'm sorry if it's coming through loud and clear and you you start from a place of common ground and you understand what motivates the other person do we get anywhere by demonizing them I think not, but I do know that there are occasions when it's important to make it very plain that there isn't a meeting of the minds and there won't be. We didn't engage in demonising the coalition government in Victoria about the Climate Change Foundation paper. We simply produced it. We published the document and we then exported it to the community willy-nilly. It didn't help or wouldn't have helped at that time for me to have gone public about what we were being asked to do, in my view. And it was important for my office to commit to what we had statutorily obliged 
ourselves to do, which was to produce the reports. It wasn't until I finished every report that I was required to produce that I did resign in Victoria. So you, and I did you, go you resigned and finished your tenure early? I did. Yep. Is this kind of par for the course? So we look at what happened with Gillian Triggs and the Human Rights Commission. Is this par for the course of being a commissioner at times? It's not an easy road and it's hard to stand out against strong forces that are ideologically wedded to certain positions because they can be unpersuadable. Gillian Triggs is to be admired for the way in which she has adhered to her charter, been forthright about it, brought her team with her and been supported by her team. Mm. You're looking at a strong organisational culture that's clearly ethical and everybody in it feels empowered by so it it. it really takes an inner strength i think is what you're saying now what brought you to this now you said that you have a background in the law and here you are now doing environment things it seems like a bit of a, a leap how did you get to here It probably isn't a leap. I was a barrister and solicitor in Aboriginal people's interests. I've worked quite extensively for Aboriginal people. My first job as a lawyer was with the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. I've forged long links with Aboriginal people, long and deep links, and they've taught me that community consultation to get to change is important. They've taught me that it takes time, and it requires people's immersion. And to bring the... And that is what I think the environment... That, that's what my interest in the environment now is. We could be a simple reporting agency that sat in the office and did nothing more than produce documents. But these offices of Commissioner involve community consultation. They involve advocacy about matters and those things are directly linked to my time. Clearly you have a strong social conscience. Where where does that come from? I'm fairly clearly, I inherited that I'm pretty sure. My parents both were very keen on equity. My father always made it very plain that girls could do anything as a male authority figure that was important to me we've just come off international women's day and of course my mother was a person who just by example demonstrated the need to be actively involved in your community committed to equity and ethical in how you went about it and they coached you through these early years of course was there something about how they did that was there a moment that kind of illustrates for you in, when you think back on those days that that was maybe a transformative thing for you oh gee look pivotal to me is an occasion when i was a very young child in the kimberleys we went to my older brother and i went to the kimberley research station school it was a school where the young aboriginal students came across the ord river from the ivanhoe station a teacher came from perth an aboriginal girl frightened to ask to go to the toilet wet herself the teacher rubbed her nose in her urine we went home and made that to our parents and they took action which meant that the teacher was expelled from the research station and we had a wonderful three weeks where my mother taught us A for apple, B for bat but it was an occasion that I've never forgotten I don't know whether the young Aboriginal girl in that um, particular set of circumstances ever knew what really happened she had three weeks off as well probably enjoying the Ord River Riverbank with her family but it showed me that it was important to take action and it was important to be considerate of 
what role you could play as a decision maker or a person in a position of authority or power. And lawyers are often in that position. And I probably chose law because I think law is, as Marx has said, politics. Marx or Engels said it was politics. What was your first moment of activism? Oh, gee. I remember when Gough Whitlam was sacked, I was coming out of the picture theatre having seen Picnic at Hanging Rock and I read it on the front page of the Herald Sun and we were all very active that very evening. Are you optimistic? How how do you see, if we were having this conversation in 10 years' time, in 20 or maybe 50 years' time, what do you think we will be saying? I am an optimist and it's a fault, it's a personality flaw probably. I am an optimist. And I'm optimistic because I see people taking action everywhere and I'm convinced that the community in respect of climate change is ahead of the government at the federal level. We see community energy everywhere and it's not just about wind and solar and batteries, it's energy, it's community coming together and making the point that they want to see action around this deeply excoriating issue, climate change. I saw it in Victoria in places as diverse as the Oyen Pie Shop, where we held a meeting, health services, sustainability groups, people who were farming, women who were farming, people who were educating their children, local government, where there is an upsurge of interest in sustainable best practice, making sure that the economic, the social and the environment are wedded, and we see it everywhere. Let me give you one great example that comes out of Victoria of that. A small group in Portland, which is in the Western District, decided to work out a way to recycle televisions when we all went to digital. And there was some funding available which they didn't get. They decided nevertheless to pursue their recycling effort. They put an ad in the local paper, they got that for free. They advertised a place where people could drop off their televisions. They spoke to Rotary and said, could we have your six foot by four foot trailer because we've got some televisions we'll take to the depot. They went away for the weekend and they came back on the Monday and there were 26 tonnes of televisions. They needed then something larger than the Rotary trailer. And the local logistics firm provided two B-doubles and also the front end loader to tip the televisions into the B-doubles to take them to the depot. Because they were clever, they then decided they would take them to the final depot, not the intermediate depot, because that would save the carbon miles. Now, we would all prefer that we're not throwing things away and we're not wasting things and we're not discarding things that are useful, going right back to the early message, reduce, reuse, recycle. But if that happens and there are ways in which we can cleverly bring a community together to deal with those issues, that's a great example of good practice. So there was something about that that garnered the enthusiasm of people. Uh, Now, if somebody is listening to this and here in the ACT and they want to get involved with something, maybe give feedback to the Sustainability Commission or they may be community energy or something do you have any particular tips that you'd like to pass on there are a number of ways that people could have a say about environmental matters in the act the directorate has a web page where they ask people to talk about issues on particular things there's one coming up about hague park and i'd urge anybody who's got an interest in active travel in child children playing in 
places like parks being good for our climate change mitigation and adaptation efforts to have a look at that and get onto the site. If there are issues that people want to raise with my office, we of course have a very active social media campaign and the office is in the uh, directorate. Uh, People could ring the office if they have issues. I'd be urging people who are taking an interest in environment and climate change in particular to organise in their communities as well. And I know that the ACT is a very well-organised community and there's lots of things happening. People should talk to their neighbour. Well, Kate Alty, that that's a wonderful way to finish our conversation. Are there any final thoughts before we say goodbye? Just never forget, start where you are. Start where you are, which we will do. Thank you very much for your time.